Hello, I'm Ted Seides, and this is Capital Allocators. This show is an open exploration of the people and process behind capital allocation. Through conversations with leaders in the money game, we learn how these holders of the keys to the kingdom allocate their time and their capital. You can keep up to date by visiting capitalallocatorspodcast.com. My guest on today's show is Michael Mervosh, clinical psychologist and founder of the Hero's Journey Foundation. Michael joined me to talk about how people are managing their way through the crisis. Our conversation covers the unexpected resonance of shelter-in-place, facing ordeals, valuing connection, and discovering creativity. We closed with a simple tip to participate in something bigger than yourself and a poetic word about kindness. If you'd like to learn more about Michael and his work, in which I've been an active participant, check out heroesjourneyfoundation.org slash introduction. That's heroesjourneyfoundation.org slash introduction. And have a listen to our previous conversation that follows on the feed. Please enjoy my conversation with Michael Mervosh. Michael, thanks for taking the time to do this. You're welcome, Ted. Why don't we just start by talking about how you've been spending these last couple weeks? Well, all of my time and energy has really been focused on two things. One is attending to my clientele, to clients and patients who are obviously all experiencing the same thing and moving all of my trainings and programs online. So I'm still in front of some human beings in my office, but I'm far more like you and everybody else sheltering in place and working through a screen. I'm watching what everybody is doing and needing and what they're thinking about when they're sheltering in place. And it's really not what you think people are typically thinking about. So why don't we start with what do you assume that people are typically thinking about? Well, if you read the papers, what most people are thinking about are surviving this. That's the bottom line. Am I going to stay well? If I'm going to get sick, will I get proper treatment? Will I survive that? And will I have enough to eat? And do I have enough to live on? That will occupy most of the energy of a significant portion of the population, particularly the gig economy people who live paycheck to paycheck. They will be in survival mode. And those are obviously the ones also who have to stay in the workplace that can't shelter in place. But I'm seeing all the people who are primarily sheltering in place, which I'd imagine be a significant portion of your audience. Yeah. And so what's different from what you were expecting that you're hearing? The most striking resonance is, number one, people will kind of sheepishly start to say that they're anxious about something, but what they're anxious about isn't like how they're going to be okay. I mean, there's all of us who are more action-oriented, production-minded, want to get going. But there's also a part of a lot of us who are learning for the first time that for all of our lives up until now, in the background 
of our culture and therefore of our psyches, what's always running is the economy. And what the economy says is you get to work. And you get to work and you produce. And when you produce, you be successful and you have realized the American dream. There's a part of the psyche that just lives that no matter what. But then when the whole economy stops and people realize I'm more okay than I thought I would be. And in sheltering in place, I have space, not time, but space, where I'm not actually confined. I'm actually free. And I'm not driven. And again, I don't want to lay that all on an economy, but I think that's a significant psychic force to drive, to make money, to provide. And a significant amount of people, you have the introverts who are like, ah, now the rest of the world understands how I live. (laughs) Then there are the people who are more hermetic. They're not people-oriented, and they like being by themselves, and now they have permission. They're encouraged to do it. They're relaxed. And then there are the people who are discovering a part of themselves that tells them, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. But where I'm not good is when I start thinking within a relatively short period of time goes from how long am I going to have to do this? Then to secretly, I hope this doesn't end too soon. And that's fairly consistent. You're hearing that quite a bit. Quite a bit. And I don't want to say it's universal but it's common. And each person, again, sheltering in place, thinks they're the only one thinking it. (laughs) It's sort of the secret realization. And there's so many things that we think we can't do without, that we're doing without. And on the one hand, many of us are experiencing significant losses. Certainly people who lose their jobs in economic security are appropriately distressed and frightened about what's going to happen next. But many of us, what we are watching is our futures. We've lost our future. And I'm really touched by the young people I've had exposure to and in that regard, like teenagers and the high school seniors that I have had a chance to talk to are like, this was my time. I'm working right now with a guy graduating from graduate school. And again, finding a job isn't so easy. There's no graduation. Like there's no launch. So there's the dissolution of things that launch us and move us forward, which bring about a sense of loss. And everyone knows that. And then a disorientation. Because I've scheduled with people all the time. And I'm saying, so what are you doing in a week? And they're like, what do you mean? What am I doing in a week? (laughs) Are you available? Like, yeah, I'm available all the time. So if you think about the vernacular and conversations, I know you're a busy person. We're all legit if we're busy. Rather than say, well, no, I really don't have anything to do. And then there's a shocking amount of people who are in that position who don't have anything to do, who weren't prepared for that. And they don't know what to do when they don't know what to do. And what's the variety of responses that people have had to that feeling of, oh, I've been forced to do less or slow down? 
Well, it's interesting, probably talking to people across the world, the Americans, us as Americans, and the Germans don't like to be told what to do. And having a really hard time to say how we experience confinement as we have a right to freedom. And then there's also people, honestly, who don't have much personal authority and don't really feel in charge of their own lives and don't know how to feel in charge of their own lives, who feel governmental authority is stifling them. So they're angry. So some people are really angry right now. But there's also people who are remarkably, once they get through the disorientation, are saying things like, I like this. I don't know myself like this, but I'm really okay. And then there are people who already have shifted to sort of the gig economy, who were working from home, who would say, they're kind of sheepish when they say, you know, my life isn't all that different. But now I feel like the rest of the world is with me, so I feel less alone. So that's some of the range of what I'm seeing. Yeah, there's this notion that whenever we get past this, that things will change. And maybe we don't know what that means. Is it parts of the economy? Is it the way we work? More comfort with video? Is it going to eat at home more often? Do you have any sense of that notion of people being more comfortable in a different frame of mind than how you described as go, 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 how that might play out from a human capital perspective? What is clear to me is the people who have the resources to change and adapt will and do. And they're surprised at how quickly they are adapting. I mean, I'm learning a whole lot about how to work and go deeply with people online that's very different than working in person. There's something about when you're willing to adapt and connect on screen, for example, that on the one hand, it's obvious that like you and I are now, we're not having a conversation like we did the last time in the same space. So it has a different quality to it. But because we know one another from the same space, it kind of transfers over. And then I've noticed it's kind of like a confessional from the uh, Catholic perspective here in the Easter week, where when you're in a confessional and you don't go face to face, you feel freer to say what's really, you open up differently. The barrier is actually a support to opening. And so I'm watching people adapt to that and use the barrier almost as another way to connect differently, like not so head on and straight on. But again, the people who have the resources, the inner resources to adapt and change will recognize they're going to have to change. And then people who don't have them or don't believe that they have the inner resources to change will only wish to go back. And their prayer will be to return to something that was before, which we know on some level from the hero's journey myth, once you cross a threshold, it's a point of no return. And once a horse is out of a barn, they don't go back in the barn so easily unless they believe they can't make it in the pasture. <laughs> <laughs> so when you speak of inner resources, what is it that you mean that distinguishes someone who has the inner resources to change and someone who may not? 
Well, it has to do with a person's willingness, number one, and ability to manage their own internal responses to what's happening. You might be hearing a lot now about how much encouragement's going on for meditation. People should meditate. They should learn to relax. And there's a validity to that, but it doesn't help if you don't know how or you don't want to. But one of the most important things to do in times like this is have the ability to calm yourself. Because if you can't calm yourself and ground yourself and slow yourself down and kind of get out of your head, your fears will run away with you. You'll become irritable. This is where you see, of course, in times like this, sheltering in place for forced closeness. Emotional conflict and physical violence is rife. What's the type of change that you might expect if someone has experienced that ability to kind of stay within themselves and calm themselves down? Well, again, it all hinges, Ted, on our ability to tolerate disorientation, to have something undone that was once the way it was, because we get fixed in our way. When we get fixed into a habit or an economic class or a certain job or a certain way of thinking or a certain time we eat, we believe that we're not capable of living outside that pattern of the routine. So when that's broken, our fear is to want to hold ourselves together the way we were before. But this ability to say, I have a chance to change and be different and I can benefit from it is what it takes, is that understanding that change could, my ability to adapt is what allows me to survive. It's what allows the species to survive, to adapt to a, a circumstance. And if I could use the hero's journey metaphor again, that when you cross a threshold and you enter into a territory in your life that is totally unfamiliar to you, it becomes like either a, an adventure an uplifting and a fun adventure, or it becomes a nightmare, an ordeal. And it's safe to say that the pandemic that we're facing is a profound, profound ordeal. No one would want that or see that as in any way as an adventure. But from the standpoint of the hero's journey, where something is yielded for you, where, where there's a reward or a boon, to use Campbell's language, is sometimes it only will come through the ordeal because the ordeal makes you have to let go of what you're clinging to in order for what's waiting for you to come. Except you don't think anything is either in you that's there or in your world is there. So it's the fixed nature of things that we all suffer from that make us grasp for that. And many of us are having that undone in very simple ways, but in some of us in profound ways. And if someone's yearning, really yearning to change in some sense and say, okay, they're aware that change is happening and they want to embrace it, what would you recommend that somebody do to move in that direction? You know, it's really simple and strangely hard, which is anything else but what you always do. Anything but that. That's how you start to undo a fixed pattern. And years ago, when we ran a program for um, 
personal transformation with George Leonard. He was one of the founders of the human potential movement back in the seventies. And he was an elderly guy and I was mentoring under him and he would say, start small. Like if you want to think differently, brush your teeth with your opposite hand. If you can't do that and you're not willing to do it, what makes you think you'd be willing to think differently? <laughs> Cause you have to think differently for a second. But the awkwardness of something that where we feel incapable or where we feel unwilling to go, like that is definitely the areas where it has your greatest potential for development. Our strong suits don't need more work. And that's how we get out of balance because we're afraid to develop our deficits or things that we never did before. So really like in a time like this, many of us are surprised by the fact that we really enjoy an ordinary life. And how many people, who do you know, maybe you're one of them, who are doing things called, I think they call them jigsaw puzzles. Have you heard of those? <laughs> but there's a shared participation. And that's one of the things that allow us to realize what we value sometimes more than productivity. We get clearer about what our values are, that we value a sense of shared time and something that we can do. And that's why I think jigsaw puzzles are great because Sometimes some of us don't know how to sit together. There's only so much people feel like they were willing to or want to talk about. But especially like with kids, when you're doing a shared activity, the third thing comes up or the conversation happens while you're focused on the activity. So I would say if someone wants to take advantage of this time, you would have to step back and learn just to look at what's happening and recognize what has surprised you. Because if you're not capable of the unexpected and you can't tolerate surprise, you're just going to be narrow-mindedly fixed on what already has happened and what you already think. And then let what has, has surprised you inform you of what you value and what adaptation you might do where you start to take up something you wouldn't do before. Or, you know, my neighbor is picking up a guitar again is asking me about that. He's 70 and he hasn't played it for 30 years, but he's had one for 30 years. <laughs> and it's not about playing the guitar. It's about this willingness to tilt in a different direction. And I think if you don't have that willingness to open yourself to new experiences, you become surprised. You don't really learn about yourself and you're just trying to go back to something that will never be again. And you could say that's true about us probably right now as a country in general. And I don't want to make this overly mystical in any way or say there's anything good about having this pandemic virus, but good will come out of it because the virus doesn't discriminate. But the thing about all of us being in the same place together, loneliness is a great equalizer. All of us are going to feel lonely at times and Anyone listening now, there's going to be a significant percentage of us who are actually sheltering in place by ourselves and don't have access to people. So we learn about, number one, what we value when it's taken away, because you have to have it taken away to know if you value it. Because if you don't value it that much, you, you don't do much to get it back. <laughs> <laughs> and if you really value it, you do, you really put yourself into getting it back. We all are realizing how much we need each other. 
and that's the big learning i think if we don't learn that as a species we'll just continue to destroy each other michael if you bring together a couple of these threads you mentioned that you're learning to connect with people that you're working with online that loneliness is an issue and people are realizing they need each other are there things that you've figured out over these last couple of weeks about how to connect with people through the computer in a genuine way? Because there are so many of us that are conducting at least the work side of our lives online like we're doing now. What matters to people is what means something to people. And what typically means something to people is something that has shared value and shared meaning. And it's surprising how ordinary it really is. Even in these training programs I'm running with people from all over, what people are calling hangouts or meetups, right? Where you're just hanging out, but especially when it's not a forced conversation. You know, when you're with somebody that you're not well acquainted with, you feel like you have to keep a banter going and it's tiresome. The spaces similar to like a jigsaw puzzle where you have the activity allowing everyone to relax and just be there. You know, it's kind of like the happy hours that people are having, but it it's a shared gladness that we actually get to be together. And it's the shared gladness, Ted. It doesn't matter if it's over a happy hour thing or being a part of a group that shares a song or just tell me something good that happens. It's sitting there realizing, you know what, I'm really glad to be here with you the way you would be out socially. And it goes across the screen and people relax and they kick back in their chairs. And after a while, I'm not thinking about this as a barrier right now when I talk to you. I just feel like I'm talking to you. And that's what happens. It's like the screen that feels like a window becomes like literally a screen where you can pass through. So Michael, as more of us are doing these meetups and socializing in different ways, are there any practical things that you've come across that can make that experience different or better than it might otherwise be? Yeah, Ted, I think a couple things about that is one, back to people who are surprising themselves with how okay they are sheltering in place. When they relax the pressure to do, things and to be productive there's a space available to be creative and it's this creative capacity in our adaptation to life and our ability to not be mired in the fear and the heaviness because what we all have to find a way to do is to relax and to normalize something that's the same for us and also something creatively different. So for me, making my family's red sauce and getting that tomato sauce together in the tradition of the family makes it feel like this is the thing we always do. And for a minute, I'm normal again. And the pandemic and the economy all recedes. So one thing everyone can do is find a way to normalize your life. And I think that's what the jigsaw puzzles do. And we say, no matter what, we got this. But then there's this way of paying attention about how much goodwill there is in the world and from the most unusual sources. As an example of this, 
people were watching the growing change in the tide where now people walk and walk the sidewalks or walk the streets in their own socially distanced way. And rather than taking it personally, I noticed I was walking past a driveway and these kids have these driveway messages in chalk. And I think that was really sweet. But then I go like six driveways down and there's another one. And then down, like the whole neighborhood did this. And so all the walkers are having these driveway messages. So it's inspired me to be creative. And I'm going to do some driveway singing this weekend. Yeah, Like that's the thing. I'm going to get my guitar out there and I'm going to sing it at the end of my driveway. It's like a positioning yourself to participate in something greater than yourself is really the solution. So if you don't have that happening in your life, there's a real simple way to do that. If you were listening to this and you would like to just lean into something differently, make three phone calls or three outreaches. The first call will be to reach out and talk to someone that you haven't talked to in a long time and get over yourself. Oh, I should have called, you know, because when we feel bad about doing something, we don't do it for even longer because that's all off now. And so it's reaching back to someone from your past or someone that you just would really like to reestablish a connection with and let it see where it takes you. Another one would be simply reaching to someone in your present life that you typically, when you're too busy, don't have the time. And that you would really like to connect with or that you know might be struggling. Because being of service is really important. People need to feel useful. Reach out to someone that maybe could use your help or think might be happy to hear from you. And the third reach would be to contact someone that you want in your future. That you want to make sure is in your future. And this is your way of strengthening or building something at a time like this. And that's an example of it. And this is where uh, David White would say, just put down the weight of your aloneness and ease into a conversation somewhere. Well, Michael, this is great, but I can't let you go without asking you to open that magic book of yours. And before you do, I have to ask you to pick a number. I can't pick the ones I know already. I'll pick a number that I wouldn't typically pick. How's that? In that same way. I'll say uh, 67. Yeah, it's always the odd ones with you, isn't it? <laughs> it is the odd ones with me, man, for sure. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, 67. And this is a, a book of poetry that I have been writing in over the years. As something speaks to me, I put it down. Oh, my. This is something. <laughs> I've just slayed myself. <laughs> I read this poem. It came to me when I was on a, a broadcast on Saturday, speaking to a woman who was profoundly isolated and alone in Barcelona. And her sharing made me think of this poem by Naomi Shahid Nye. It's called Kindness. I'll leave you with this, Ted. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Before you can know what kindness really is, you must lose things. You must feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. And how many of us are feeling aspects of our future literally dissolve 
in days, like salt in a weakened broth. And some of us are health and our life. What you held in your hand, what you counted on, and what you so carefully saved, all this must go sometimes. All of this goes so that you would know how desolate the landscape can be between regions of kindness. And how is it that we've all done this, where we ride and we ride, thinking the bus ride will never end, the passenger staring out the window forever? But before you can learn the tender gravity of kindness, you have to travel. Travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. We would say in our instance, killed by the virus. You must see how this could be you. And how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans. And the simple breath that had kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. What a time for that, right? You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. If you do this, then it will only be kindness that makes sense anymore. And it's only kindness that will allow you to tie your shoes in the morning and send you on your way into your day to mail a letter or maybe to purchase bread with a mask on. Only kindness will raise its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is you I have been looking for. It is you I have been looking for. And then kindness walks with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. That's a great one. Well, Michael, thanks for sharing your thoughts about this time and always great to see you. Yeah, thank you for asking me. It's always a pleasure, Ted. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found a nugget or two to take away and apply in your investing and your life. If you'd like what you heard, please tell a friend and maybe even write a review on iTunes. You'll help others discover the show and I thank you for it. Have a good one and see you next time.